Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Tuesday afternoon. I finished school. And let me see if I can take a look at the parsha, which is being sponsored by Morris Friedman, or actually all of them, Morris and Kenny and Ira and Etta and Mom. Uh, because uh, their Shabbos was the orthodox of their dad, and we're in Freeman. And I asked Morris to send me a few words to say. It's always Dwarmi Yosem and Alev. And here it is. It's hard to believe that the fourth yardstick of our father, our fearless leader and greatest icon, the man we call dad, Nissan Rubin Ben Shammai, Norman Freeman, was his past Shabbos, Rosh Kodesh Ador. Yeah, I know Kenny had a fancy schmancy business, I'm sure, at his house. I just couldn't walk. I got bad knees. Uh, probably had 12 types of wine or something. That's for the peasants, and then the real guys were upstairs, you know, uh, for the good stuff. Anyway, Dad always made us, had us laughing, left us in Rosh Chodesh Adar, how appropriate. Ah, because Rosh Chodesh Adar. It always seemed more than a coincidence. They passed the Olmo MS on Erev uh, COVID. Right, that's right. They finished saying Shiva, and a few days later came the COVID. This is a chus that he could be with us in his final hours and have a proper levaya and shiva. Uh, it was sudden. It, it, we shuddered to think that we almost missed out on giving him the respect he deserved. As Rabbi Katz said in his hesped, he was a noch in his time the most extraordinary, ordinary man. That's true. Uh, it's no more It's no more consummate description. That was on, that was on the greatest teacher, our greatest teacher, our uh, Manal and, me- and mentor and fearlessly. Look, I'm I'm reading through uh, Chicken Scratch over here. This is signed by the family, Edda, that's the Almana, and then Morris, Kenny, and Ira, and Marla and the grandkids. <laughs> okay, that's very nice. The, every word you just read, even though it's written in Chicken Scratch, is Dwarim Hayotim, Yotim, and Aleva. That I know. He was a truly wonderful person. <laughs> and now, let's take a look. At the uh, Truma. Now we start once again the four parshas about the Mishkan, of course, <coughs> which is Truma Tetzave <coughs> And every year you run across the problem what is the Mishkan and the basement has got to do with us now. Uh, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Hold on for a second. Okay, folks, uh, sometimes I got Grand Central Station here. Anyhow, <coughs> um, we look at the Mishkan and Basemigdash. And uh, I think of them together anyway. I've spoken about it in the past as well, because um, there's such a contrast. The Mishkan's a cheapo operation, and the base of is fancy schmancy, uh, which is just interesting, and which is the better one. It's a very nice medrash in this week's parasha, which says that Moshe Benu was a little shocked at the cheap and small nature of the Mishkan. And furthermore, he could see with Ruach HaKodesh what the temple would look like, be Shlomos. It says, um, it's in Parshat Lamadalat, that, B'Shosham HaKodesh Baruch HaLemosha Aseli Mishkan, Yisrael Matmir, Moshe was shocked, because here he's got him out of Egypt, 
and he's trying to give him the idea of invisible God and transcendental and beyond, beyond. And Harasinai, when the people couldn't even listen to the words of God. And then, <laughs> if God is beyond, beyond, he's in the Yonam and he's even beyond that. <clears throat> so, how can you tell me you're building a house? Sounds like a reversion to paganism. Right? That's must have, something like that. Not exactly, obviously. Something like that must have gone through the mind of Moses. And he could see Bruch HaKodesh in the Vua that there would be the base of of Shlomo, which would be a million times fancier, schmancier. And Shlomo would even say, How can God live in a house? If Shlomo had a big fancy house, temple, could say this about the Shechina, Mishkan Achas Kampakaman. Then how much more this small El Chipo Mishkan? Right? And God answers him in a very good line. In other words, the way you think, I'm not thinking. In other words, the classic line the rich people don't have to dress fancy. <laughs> right? The old moss money, you know, they can dress, you know, in, in old sweaters. They got nothing to show off. You understand? They don't have to show off. All I need is a small operation. El Chipo, 20 boards by 20 boards. And eight in the West. And, you know, let's put it this way. The Jewish mother. I can sleep on the floor. It's not a big deal. I don't need to eat breakfast. I can starve to death. It's fine. Flowed. Right? So in other words, your machshav is not mine. And the actual shechina will speak from on top of the kapara, you know, by the kruvim. So the voice of God will appear in, at a very small area. And that's good enough. <clears throat> so you might say that this message is understood to mean that God is not competing. Because I'll tell you right now, I don't care how fancy Shlomo built it. Me, really. There are fancier ones. I don't know, the Taj Mahal, you know, shine in a place like it. There must be bigger and fancier ones. So the point is not to make the best in the world, the fanciest, because you can't. And second of all, if you get involved in that kind of a contest, the Jews could build a gigantic base in Megdash, and then some other guy, a pagan or a Christian or somebody will say, I'm going to build a bigger one. And that'll prove my God is better than yours, because I'm bigger. You know, so you get in that way of thinking. So on the one hand, the Mishkan is a physical building. On the other hand, it shouldn't have the appurtenances of a physical building. It's just a symbol of some kind, right? So there's no question that compared to Shlomo, the Mishkan is very plain. And there's even another Medish, I don't have the time to look for it. I think it's the Salva, where he says, if anybody wants to build a fancy schmancy house, don't, right? Because look at Hashem, he built a small house. You know, Hashem could have said, I'll get a brand new house in Lakewood. You know, uh, $10 million house, right? Or something like that. Man, you're going to need it, okay? So in other words, it's like it's wonderfully countercultural. It's wonderfully counterintuitive. You think you're building a place for Hashem, has to be schmancy. No, it doesn't. Now, on the other hand, that doesn't mean go for junk. It is Zohar Baches and Menachoshes, right? It is nice, okay? It'll be artistically impressive, but not 
architecturally astonishing. Yeah. Shlomo Melch obviously went for not only artistically, but you know, astonishing. Look up in the Melachim, you know, how Shlomo built it. He had a whole plane uh, for that guy, uh, what was his name, Hiram, to cast the metal. Oh my goodness. Okay. And it says, Eina Kesev Nechshemuma. No, Eina Kesev, yeah. Everything was gold, silver wasn't worth anything. It was a different business. Now, what's going on over here? Okay. What's the idea to fancy beyond the plane? It's very interesting. It seems to me, if you think about it, there's always different sensibilities out there among people. Not everyone has the same one. And the closest thing I would approximate this to in contemporary terms would be some people like big fancy shoals and some people do the opposite. They like a little steeple, a little minion. And you can't say one's right and one's wrong. Each one appeals to a different one and there are arguments in favor of each. If there's a big fancy shoal, you say Rovam Hadris Melech. It's uh, more organized. You see a lot of pe- people together. We believe that's a good thing. It looks like a true community. You feel like a seaboard. It's a seaboard, seaboard. And chances are you have all kinds of different types over there. And that's a good thing, as I said a thousand times, because the the, 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 the ideal kehila, the ideal community, is all different types from the right to the left. But you're on the same shoal. But there's a counter thing that says, I don't like being fancy, you know, shoals with a gabai and a president and or and decorum and dues memberships and all this stuff. I like a small neighborhood, little stebel. Because I feel more, you know, intimate. There, in one place, God is the king. The other place, God is your buddy. That's what it boils down to. Uh, a king, and both are true. Right? That's the idea of Vino Malkano, so to speak. Both are true. Or, if you wish, both are not true. Yeah, But you know what I mean. If you think of God as a king, king as a palace, it's got to be fancy. The synagogue will try to have fancy schmancy. The rabbi will sit up here. The speeches will be given in such and such a, 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 a way, of such a, a, a forum. They'll make a big deal who's called up for the Leah. You know, you get what I'm saying. Formality. Some people love the formality of a show. Right? Some people, I have friends, if it was up to them, they, uh, and I don't mean this as a put down, I have some friends, it's up to them, they would dive in all the time at Breuer's. I mean, the old Breuer's. You know, when everything was just so. If they could, they would dive in the synagogue of St. Sarefel Hirsch, because everything was just so. And you didn't deviate. Um, They liked that. There are 1,001 rules and regulations. They love it. Okay? <clears throat> I've told you. I have a friend. Um, who's a BT. And I once asked him long ago, he said, how do you become religious? And the other, he said, I read a book in college and it had such a rush that it changed my life. And I was wondering, what book did he read? I said, I had a my ideas. Turns out, it was a translation of the Kids of Shukhanar. Right? Give me a break. No! To him, the fact that everything was regulated... There's rules and halachas down to the nth degree. All the little details are covered. You know, everything is covered. So he, he thought that's grand and it, it just, that's what made him from. And that's the truth, right? Other people would say, eh, that's not for me. I read a Chesa Bressler book, a Lababish book, some kind of art school biography. You know, it's, it's something else. You see? It's all kind of different types out there. 
And so the Mishkan addresses itself to a particular sensibility. And Shlomo Melch was doing a different sensibility. Now, perhaps it has to do with the fact that the Mishkan was by Moshe, who was not a king. Moshe had the supreme authority, and I know sometimes they refer to him as a king. I mean, I get that, but Moshe was not a king. And he was a leader. We don't call him Moshe Malkin, we call him Moshe Rabbeinu. He had a, a kind, kind of a unique role. Okay? And Moshe was also on of Mikolado. So he didn't go around as he could have with a bodyguard of 50 people, make way for the big booba, the, you know, the, the, the Maharaja, whatever, and, you know, bow down. No, Moshe wasn't like that. It's just not who he was. Now, he had authority. Right? He had the charisma, except when he didn't. But he had the charisma, and he could lead the Jewish people in a certain direction with all the birching and all the rest of it. But it wasn't based on the externals and trappings of power, if you think about it. Right? That's the idea of one of me called Adam. He could have had whatever he wanted. He could have said, God said, give me your money. He could have done stuff like that. As it is, they accuse him of it anyway. But that's not what he was. Moshe would have lived in a tent like everybody else. And he was happy. That wasn't a, that wasn't the thing that turned him on. And so what Moshe was into was intimacy with God, which is a hard thing to do. And he got farther than anybody else. So the Mishkan, which is a few Amis and a few Amis, all the rest of it, is not there to impress you with the fancy schmancy number of it, but to create an atmosphere in which you can feel the Shechina. And sometimes they could see the Shechina. So, okay. That's a matter of intimate. You get it? As the matter says, uh, how's it going? You can't even translate that sentence. But it means you're in the shadow of Hashem. You're in a very intimate, tight relationship. And that's what some people look for. The other way, Shlomo was the antithesis of Moshe Rabbeinu, the opposite. Shlomo Melch was fancy schmancy. The power Taka got to his head. That's why the man says, ETL, he said, me and Hashem will say Madrega. That's why he could cheshman out the mitzvahs and do what he he felt. He could do whatever he wanted. That's the famous medish I could at the very beginning of Eira. I mean, we know this. And therefore, Shlomo said like this, if I'm living in a palace, then Hashem definitely should. Right? Now, the problem is, how you go about it? If you don't fancy schmancy, that's already not a question of intimacy. That's a question of awe at the majesty of something. You walk into a big fancy building, you say, oh my goodness. My goodness. You walk into Vesa Migdash, you saw the marble, you saw the giant metal stuff, you saw the kior, all this other kind of business, you say, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And that's supposed to fill you with uh, Moira. Right? Moira. Which is a good thing. It's Yiras Hashem. You see? I can't say so much I see... In the, I mean, I guess I'm wrong, but I can't say I see so much um, Avas Hashem in Beis HaMikdash. Seems to be more like Yiras Hashem. Isn't that right? I mean, like I say, maybe I'm wrong. I don't see it. It's more like Moira. And some people are very comfortable with Moira. And the truth of the matter is, everybody needs Yira Sashen. Yira. 
And I'm talking about Yerushalayimus. Okay, how do you get to Yerushalayimus? Oh, you walked into Shlomo Mel's place, even Hordes. You say, "Oh my goodness, my goodness, my goodness." Right? Apparently, if you walked in Mishnah, it wasn't the same thing. But you saw Shechina, you saw Moshe Rabbeinu, you saw Aaron. You felt comfortable with Aaron because because he was that type of person, and it promotes a different sort of religiosity. Okay. Now, the noblest aspect of this is the Mishkan was from voluntary funds and Shlomo Melch was not. Because the build, the Haftar is going to tell us that to build this fancy schmancy base of Mikdash, Shlomo Melch subjected the Jewish people to a kind of slavery, to the corvée, the forced labor. I think it says they worked for two months and then they were home for a month. 30,000 people. Which was very unpopular. When Shlomo died, the people said to his son, don't keep it up. Right? And Hassan didn't listen and it blew the whole thing. You know that. And so we end up with a picture of, um, uh, uh, how should I put it, uh, grandeur, you understand? Know as opposed to, to intimate. And that has to do with different ideas of what God is, both of which are true. That's the paradox. We believe in a transcendent God and also in an imminent one. Imminent means he's right next to me. Like like Bresselberg. Transcendent means like Shlomo says. No question about it. But you see, Shlomo was thinking in transcendent terms. God is, so to speak, out there. Not right next to me. And Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, God is right next to me because he was. Right? Remember, Moshe had that uh, cell phone we all want. You know what I'm talking about. When the Beno said, what do you do in our case? He said, Im du ve'eshmo ma'itzav Hashem eschem. Let me make a phone call, <laughs> a direct line to Shemayim, and I'll ask God what to do when you're a Shiloh. And God answered him with the Beno Slavcha. came Beno Slavcha Dobros. That ain't bad. But that's a different type of relationship. Okay? That's a different type of relationship. And by the way, because it had that intimate type of relationship, Moshe could quarrel with the Rabbani Shalom, and it was okay. It's remarkable. In fact, the relationship between Moshe and Rabbani Shalom is actually full of quarrels from day one at the burning bush. You know the story like I know the story. Right? And later at the golden calf, and later in the, the midbar. I mean, it's just... The Chumash is replete with these things. In other words, the decided to put all these stories in there. I'm not talking about Midrashim over here. That goes wild. I'm talking about the plain Chumash. And so you see, he was imminent deities, right? He's intimate and close. And the Mishkan lent itself to that. Um, it's also true, of course, that the differences between the uh, permanent and the transient. Based on Mikdash is permanent, Mishkan is transient. Remember, Abishas, you know, Abishas has this long thing on Sukkot where he praises the Ovos as dwelling in tents. And Matova Olecha Yaakov, according to him, Bilam was admiring the fact that they're not hooked on their house. They're ready to move, move at a moment's notice, <clears throat> which means you're not Meshubah to your Gashmias. Right? I have a whole fancy place up here. If necessary, I can leave it at a moment, because what I really value is my Yiddishkeit. There are a lot of people in history that, you know, got Meshubah to their Gashmias, it didn't turn out good, especially for the kids. Right? And 
they build a fancy schmancy house and all the rest of it. Of course, this does not happen in Baltimore, Lakewood, or Muncie, but it happens in other places. Um, and they really got, you know, into it. And uh, the problem is that nothing is permanent in Jewish history. That's like a basic. Nothing is permanent in terms of physical. Nothing doesn't suffer gullus. That's who we are. Whatever the reason is, whatever the theological explanation is, it's part of who we are. And so, you build a fancy thing, and then you have to leave it. Right? Uh, now, what you do then is you build it in another place. But how hooked do you get on it? Shlomo and the Bnei Israel got hooked on the base of Mikdush, because the prophet Yirmiyot many times says that the people claim, since we have the Mikdush Hashem in our midst, nothing bad can happen to us. And according to Josephus, the Jews said the same thing in the time of the Roman siege of the Second Temple. If the base of Mikdush is over here, nothing can happen to us. So they turned the base of Mikdush into a certain crutch, which is not what it was supposed to be. Right? The Mishkan, as we know, was a fold-up. And it moved a lot of times. At the end, and it's interesting, as long as the Mishkan was around, I don't see anybody made any move to make the base of Mikdush. Did you notice that? The Jews were hundreds of years in Eretz Yisrael with a Mishkan. Yeshua and Shoftim, which is a long time. And then the reign of King Saul. Uh, actually, not the reign of King Saul. The um, the, the Battle of Ophik, where the Philistines destroyed the Mishkan. When they destroyed the Mishkan, that's a different story. Then they started raising money for a base of Mishkan. If you look in the Riyamalaf, in the latter part, which is probably something most people don't ever look at, you'll see that they were already uh, taking uh, contributions for a future base of Mishkan from Shmuel and Nabi and other people like that. It's interesting. Uh, and as we know, there were bummos, okay, uh, running around. People had their own stuff. It makes you think, let's put it this way, what's the reason for a Mishkan? So I just suggest that you can have transcendentalism and the Yira, the Moira, you can have intimacy, that's another way of doing it. The Maimonidean way, the very cynical kind of way, which is People used to be hooked in all kind of local uh, or practices with the bummos. A lot of family men hug him. Even today, if you scratch, scratch back, it could have some of it. You understand? And uh, having one central location, which is the only place you can up up carbonus, means that under the central control, the carbonus will be done in a way that has no avodazar in it. So in the desert, especially when they build the base of Migdash, Shas Isra Abamas. However, it didn't work. Because anybody who reads the Tanakh knows that over and over again they say, Rak Habamas Losara. People almost never gave up the Bamas. There's too much for that. Base of Migdash is far away. And I ain't going to get there maybe once, twice, three times a year, maybe. And so a transcendental God, even a great majesty, if it's not up close and personal to me, uh, it doesn't have much much on me. I mean, officially it does. Theoretically not. So you have the Maimonidean model, you have the Abishutz model, which is just fold and move. That's what I, he says, that's what Abram Yitzhak Yaakov did. Abram was rich enough he could have built a house. Yitzhak and Yaakov too. Um, but they lived in tents. And the idea being you can move the tent anytime you want. 
If trouble's coming, like I use nowadays, if it's going to be Corona, just move the tent somewhere else. That's all. Um, you see the style. It's very interesting. In Truman, it's called Nadiv Libo. Only people want to give. Matter of fact, the Gemara says Moshe Rabbeinu would tell people, are you double short, triple short you want to give? You understand? Were you Did you just, you know, if you just did it in your heart, it doesn't matter. You have to actually pronounce the pledge. Moshe Rabbeinu did the opposite of a shul president. He said, I don't want the money unless it's Mamash and Adiv Lev. Shlomo made a slave for us. As I said, the uh, the corvée. Um, and now it raises another question. We have the Mishkan, you have the Beis Amigdash. You have the Baishrish and Baishain. And then we say, talk about the Baishlishi. One of the reasons we study Shumat uh, Tzavah and, uh, you know, Bayakal Pekude is some idea of a future Beis Amigdash. You see all the time. I know that there's a famous description in the third temple, a weird one, in Yecheskel. And um, many, but the Tosas Yontos have pictures and diagrams of it. I'm sure Yoav Vilan over at the art school, my former student is, you know, Bucky and all the details of, of the quote unquote third temple, how it's going to resemble the old one, not to resemble. We don't really know. Get it? I mean, this is for your Mashiach site. If the Mashiach comes, it's going to be a, a game changer. And the world will change. And it's not clear. I know the Ramam says the world won't change, but many others say it will. We just had a Torah this past week from the end of Yeshayob, where he said it'll be Shemayim Chadoshim. How's it go? Or it's a Chadoshim. It'll be a new world. And the sun and moon and all this will be new. Which is either literal it also means it'd be radical changes. And so, it doesn't even make sense to me. Now, I could be wrong. I'm just speculating. How, how would I know? But does it make sense to say there'll be a third base of Megas with zero technology in it? Right? Why would that be? Now, the old model said there was no technology back then. Mechitesi to the next base of Megas when it comes. It's not going to have the technology nowadays. I'm I'm not talking about being Michal Shabbos, all the rest, although remember ancient was from English, but still, um, well, I want you to take advantage of modern, you know, uh, knowledge. Now, again, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it's going to be exactly like the Tosis Yantos model of the third temple based on, you know, the book of Yechaskel. But who knows, right? And it's going to be the same Kaporis and the same Mizbeach and the same this and the same that. We don't know. Could be, yes. If a person is not from it can't be. Got to be carbon. It's got to be this. Got to be that. And, and, and of course, that's a hundred percent possible. But it's also a hundred percent possible. Nobody knows that it'll look different and be built in a modern way. Yeah. You know? uh, how would that be? Same way they built by Shrish and Shani. They had a Novi or something like that. We're talking about Mashiach time over here. Okay. So don't be smug and say we know all there is to know. We who live in the modern era should be the last ones to say that. We know that our whole idea is reality and taste and science that change all the time. I mean, we're now in a frenzied pace of scientific and technological development. So if Mashiach came tomorrow, or in five years or something like that, it seems to me that it'll look different than Truman Tetzava Yaakov and it'll look different than Shlomo Mel's place. Now again, again, I could, 
I just, I mean, off the top of my head. I don't mean, I'm not saying it needs to be funny. I'm, I'm saying for seriously. Uh, can you use an elevator? They have to climb up all the steps. You know, will they have to wash in this in this way? Can they use that? Um, you know, the, the, the checking of the animals, if there's such a thing. Maybe it's done on a computer. You don't know either, right? So it's interesting, and I would suggest, that as we take a look at this parsha and next week's parsha also as well, consider, if you were in charge, again, I'm not saying this would be funny, even though it's a little bit funny. If you were in charge of building a Bayesh or if I gave you an assignment, write an essay, in your mind, what you think a Bayesh would be. It'd be interesting what you come up with. Now, of course, if we're wrong, and it's exactly like you have in the Cheskel. Fine, I have no problem with that. Right? Obviously. But meanwhile, we don't know. And how would you try to figure out, you know, um, you know, the, the, the third base in Migdush? And uh, that's assuming assuming a lot of things. And remember, you don't have to worry about Drobonans, ancient ones from Migdush. And the Jewish religion is going to be very interesting if you just have a Darais and not a Drobonan. Think about Hello Shabbos, for example. So, uh, yes, we're interested in Truma Tetzava, and we get the basic idea that there's a, a, a Ten Commandments, and by Shlishi, they'll have the, not like by Shani, it'll be Mamash Dasar and have the Kaparas, and the this, and the Oran, and all the rest of it. But, you know, will the Kohanim be dressed exactly the same way it was 3,000 years ago? Tenzan, yes. Tenzan, no. If a Novi or somebody like that, somebody comes and tells you this way, you know, if the Vilna Gon came back and he says, I know, that should be this way, I got no problem with it. Do you? Uh, these are some of the basic uh, features that I think make the Mishkan story and these parshas relevant to us because it stirs speculation as it's supposed to be. You're supposed to speculate on what the base of Mishkan is going to be like. You're not supposed to say, I want the Mashiach at any minute, because you know, I know he's coming tomorrow. But on the other hand, you do uh, you do look forward to it coming, and that means you have to give it a little bit of thought, and a little bit of thing, because you're in the year 2024, not in the year 24. <laughs> right? You're in the year 2024, not in the year 24, you know, CE. So um, keep that in mind. And as that, we take a look at these parshas. So I want to thank again the Friedman family. Uh, I'm sorry I missed that, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> that uh, gourmet occasion. Uh, maybe Kenny still got some of that uh, locks. I forget, he gave me once when I was sick. Uh, whatever it was called. And uh, anyway, with that, I do all joking inside. We do want to pay tribute to the memory of Norman Freeman. who was a very wonderful person. And with that, I wish you all a good week. By the way, we're still looking for somebody for the, to sponsor the Haftarah this week. So if anybody's so inclined, let me know. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.